All right, Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to finish chapter 7 today. Woo, okay, yeah. Uh, three weeks ago, I thought we were going to take all of chapter 7, but we didn't. We just we had to stretch it out a little bit. So stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. Um, and I'm going to start in verse 20 and go through the end. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then those, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness but as high, as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So as we have just a little review in setting this up, because I know some of you are, uh, are new with us. Hebrews is all about how Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And even that word here, it said Jesus is, a, you know, is the guarantor of a better covenant. He's, a, he's, he's better than anything else. And, and so fast forwarding to Hebrews chapter 6, if you remember, there was a warning there uh, to this audience. And it was a warning also to us where it says, listen, uh, believers, you should be teachers. Most of you should be teachers by now. However, uh, you're, you're, you still find yourself needing milk. I mean, spiritually, you're, you're immature. And so the writer was trying to get people to see the need and necessity for spiritual maturity among the body. All right. And he also knew that writing Hebrews chapter six, that what would follow Hebrews chapter six would be Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven is a very meaty, if you will, chapter. It is very deep. It's very rich. It's very dense. And so that's why, again, naively, I thought three weeks ago we could take it all in one teaching and have now chosen to break it up into three. Um, but today's section is no different. It's, 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 it's very rich. It, all of its words, all, all of the, the different things. And so um, within Hebrews chapter 7, so I'm going to go through it a little bit differently than I typically do. And really, I'm going to key in on one verse in uh, chapter 7, the, the section we just read. And that's verse 25, okay? So what I'll do is I'll, I'll teach around, around 25 and then key in on 25 because it's really the crux. Uh, but I want to ask, and I'm going to ask a lot of questions today, okay? We'll see if, the, if, if I provide any answers. But I'm going to ask a lot of questions today. Um, and the first question is this is what is, and think about it, don't answer out loud, um, what is Jesus doing right now? Right now, what is Jesus doing? I think, uh, honestly, as um, Christians, and rightfully so, right, we, we, we look back in Advent season, we, we look back and we, we see the first Advent that compels us to look forward to the second Advent, Easter, we look back at the cross and the resurrection, absolutely we should. But sometimes we lose sight of what that king is doing right now. What's he doing? Well, I was scared to ask some adults their response, so I asked some kids. 
Um, and some of your parents helped me out with this. So this is kids ranging from about age three to nine. Their response is, what is Jesus doing right now? Um, first response, I have no idea. Probably celebrating something, right? That could have been an adult. Respond that too. Uh, next kid said, uh, he's asleep. He's asleep. He's sleeping. Uh, we can't actually point to chapter and verse on that one that we can tell. Not sleeping. Uh, one child said, uh, he's preparing uh, to come back by getting us ready. He lets the enemy stay because we, we have to learn to listen to Jesus if we're going to be true followers of God. All right. That's what I'm talking about. Um, another one said, he's dancing. And not only he's dancing, but he's hip hop dancing. Right? <laughs> Jesus likes hip hop. Um, he's healing the whole earth. I like that one. Jesus, he's bringing people joy right now. He's saving people from their sins. He's celebrating his birthday. I mean, come on, man. That's what Jesus is doing, right? I mean, it's December 20, whatever. He knows he was born on the 25th. Um, <laughs> it's a joke. This is my favorite, though. Uh, my friend Housley. Uh, Housley says, Jesus is watching me. Housley's brother, who is beside him, says, Jesus is watching Housley. <laughs> that's, just, that's just greatness right there. Like, what is Jesus doing right now? He's watching my brother, because I don't know him watching me, right? But one of the questions that we will answer in this text, and if you've seen it and you probably drew out from verse 25 what Jesus is doing now, that that will be answered. Um, But there is an invitation that hangs over Hebrews chapter 7 that we have brought up over the last two weeks. And the invitation is this, if you remember very clearly from last week, draw near to God. That God extends an invitation to people to draw near to him, right? Right? This holy, righteous, perfect God, creator God, extends an invitation to people to draw near to him? Well, how? Well, Hebrews really over the last seven chapters has built the case for we have a great high priest that allows us to step into that invitation. That apart from Christ Jesus, apart from having this mediator, apart from having a great high priest who is our advocate, right? There is no way we can step into that invitation. And in fact, there's no way that God would would extend that invitation to us apart from his son. And so this morning, I want to dig even a little deeper because in this section that we just read, the invitation, once again, in verse 25, is there again. Draw near. Draw near to God. But how? Well, we all would give the answer through Christ. What is it about Jesus that allows him to make such a claim about himself? Well, there's four things. There's three things particularly. I'll get to the fourth here in a second. There's three things particularly in Hebrews chapter 7 that he points to about Jesus that allow him to make that call and that invitation and for us to draw near. And they're all in relation to time. And did you pick up, uh, there were some words here, and so and look in verse um, 20, 21. Let's start in 21. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who has said to him, the Lord has sworn he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So there are two things there that are important to notice. One, that God is not a God who is changing, right? That God doesn't change his mind. He's not going one direction going, man, they really kind of screwed that up. I'm gonna go this way. Or, oh no, I, I'm ch-. he's not changing, 
Our God does not change. Jesus himself is not changing his philosophy. He's not changing his plan. He is who he said he is. With him, there is no beginning and there is no end, right? He's unchanging. But that also communicates something else, that, that he is permanent. Like Jesus is a high priest that is permanent and unchanging, and then, if you look at, later on here in Hebrews uh, chapter 7, on verse 26, look at this list. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, here's his resume, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Pretty solid, right? Yeah, pretty solid. That he is not just a permanent, unchangeable high priest. He is a perfect high priest. So he's permanent. He's unchangeable. He's perfect. He, Jesus is the only one with those three things attached to his name. And so because the author of Hebrews is giving us that, he is giving us that as foundational material. Like we have to understand that this, this babe who came, those are his qualifications to be our great high priest, the one who can extend the invitation for you and me to draw near to God. Because we're not drawing near on our record because our record is opposite of that, right? Unholy, changing, not permanent, temporary, and imperfect. Right? Th- th- that's our resume. But Jesus goes, you don't draw near to God on your resume. You draw near to God on my resume, However, what I have found in my life is that I oftentimes anchor my identity, my worth, my value, not in the things that I just laid before you, things that are permanent, unchangeable, and perfect. I root my identity and worth and security in things that are anything but those, things that are temporary, things that are changing all over the place. Things that are definitely imperfect. Anybody else guilty of that? And, and, and what's the result of that? Disappointment? Anxiousness? Right? All this striving and I'm exhausted? You see, what, what, what Hebrews is trying to do for us, what the Word of God is trying to do for us, even this morning, is beckon us to the place of assurance, the foundation of security and hope. Right, what he's already said in Hebrews chapter 6, a steadfast anchor, right? Not something that's temporary, not something that's fleeting. And so I love what one writer says. He says, listen, our salvation is as secure as Christ's priesthood is indestructible. Your salvation, my salvation is as secure as Christ's priesthood is indestructible, meaning there's nothing that can throw him off his royal throne right? Where Jesus is, there's no question where Jesus is. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so listen, with where we're going to go in verse 25, it is going to be some deep water. So if you wake up in like the middle of this sermon, you're going to be like, wait, did he just say something totally heretical? So please pay attention the whole time, okay? If you're listening, I hope you don't pick up in the middle of the sermon because it can, it could get sideways if you're only hearing a portion of it. And so what I'm saying to you is that our salvation Your salvation, my salvation is secure in Christ, his death and resurrection. It is secure in that, right? That past event applied to us in the moment of justification. But I want to go back to my first question. What is Jesus doing right now? Let's look at verse 25. Consequently, meaning in light of what I just talked about, about Jesus's qualifications as high priest. 
perfection, not changing, permanent. Consequently, that's a big word here. In light of, in light of that permanency, in light of that perfection, in light of him being the great high priest, let me give you a picture into what he's doing. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is Jesus doing right now? He's interceding for you. Believer, he's interceding for you. Now, you might need to know, like, what in the world is intercession? Great question. You see, intercession in general terms means that a third party comes between two others and makes a case to one on behalf of the other. If you remember about six weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, seven weeks ago, we were in a section in Hebrews and it was talking about Christ as our advocate and him advocating for you. That advocacy is a legal term. And you need to understand that Christ is advocate and Christ is intercessor. They, they are very close. They're very similar, but they're not the same, right? They're, they're not the same. And they have similarities, but they're not the same. So let me explain biblically how they are different. And, and by the end, here, here's the goal with this message. Just let the cat out of the back of the goal of this message is that our hearts would explode in worship because we see Christ in a new way in what he's doing right now for you and for me. So Christ's advocacy biblically, is not constant, right? However, on the other hand, what we just read about the intercession of Christ is that it is constant. It is what he is always doing. Intercession is something Christ, he's always doing, while advocacy is something that he does as an occasion calls for it, sin or suffering, right? He intercedes for us given our general sinfulness, but he advocates for us in the case of specific sins. If you want a a greater elaboration of that, listen back when we taught through Hebrews 4. And so you could picture it like this. The advocacy is a legal term, all right? The intercession is more of this idea of a bridge. The bridge that gaps, that clears the gap between two parties, which in this case, the parties are God and us. You remember last week when I said, what was the main issue or the main problem that sin caused when it came into the world in Genesis chapter three? It caused a separation problem, right? It caused a distance issue. Adam and Eve who walked with God with an intimacy and with a communion. When Genesis three, when sin entered the world, what happened? They were kicked out. That intimacy, that closeness was removed. There was this gap. And so we can think of intercession as this bridge over that gap that Christ is doing constantly for us. He's bridging that gap. That distance problem is continually and constantly being made up by Christ. Right now, that's what he's doing on your behalf and my behalf. Why? Because his priesthood has two primary functions that were unique to Christ. Christ's two primary functions in his priesthood are this, sacrifice and intercession. The priests of the Old Testament, what would they do? They would get an animal to sacrifice. Hebrews 7 talked about this, right? And it would, it would be given for the forgiveness of his sins and thus the sins of Israel or the people. And it goes, it's not that way with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the spotless lamb. Jesus is both the sacrifice and he is the one interceding. He's the one who lays his life down and he is the one who also bridges the chasm and the gap caused by sin. That distance problem, it's only made up in Christ. And so question here, wait a minute, Kyle. And this is where if you just woke up, you're going to get a little lost. Does intercession undermine 
the atonement of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ for us on the cross? Does it mean that something was left incomplete? You're asking some really great questions, by the way. Um, And the answer, hear me and hear me loudly. The answer is that Jesus' intercession applies what the atonement accomplishes. The cross of Jesus Christ, John 19, 30, it is finished. The way of salvation, the blood shed for salvation, our perfect sacrifice was done over, complete. And so Jesus's present heavenly intercession on our behalf is a reflection of the fullness and victory and completeness of his earthly work, not a reflection of anything lacking in his earthly work at all. Does that make sense? Okay, just nod for me, just for edification of myself, right? So his heavenly intercession is the application of the finished work that he accomplished on the cross, right? So it is him applying his blood. So the atonement accomplished our salvation, period. And intercession is the moment-by-moment application of that atoning work. Did the atonement, then, Kyle, cover all of our sins? Yes. Past, present, in future. You see, in the past, Jesus did what he now talks about in the present, interceding. Jesus talks about what he accomplished. This is why in our Bibles, justification, that moment we are saved, and intercession are so closely tied together. Look at how Paul talks about this in Romans 8. This is 33 through 34. Look at this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, God's people, God's disciples, Christ followers? Who should bring any charge against them? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And that we're all yes and amen. That is Easter. That's where Jesus is right now. Who indeed is what? Is interceding for us justification. Christ died for you. His blood was shed for you. It forgives you. And he is seated at the right hand of the father now doing what? Interceding, right? Applying the work that is finished and complete to believers over and over and over again. Intercession is the constant state and reality of our justification in the court of heaven. This is a beautiful picture, right? That that, that Jesus doesn't just go, you're, you're done. Like, like you're saved. Like now, now just figure it out, right? Figure it out. But he's a God who is interceding, who's applying that over and over. You're like, isn't one good, isn't one application good enough? Yes. And that's the moment of justification. And so answer this and I'll, I'll get to the, if, if you don't come to the right answer, we'll get to it at the end. Is your moment of justification from then on you live sinlessly? Okay. Just checking, just checking. So we need the blood to what? Cover us, cover us, cover us. And this is Jesus interceding on our behalf, bridging that gap. He has the power to do that? Oh, let's look back at verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. How far? How far does his salvation stretch? Further, whatever you just said, further. The the longest you can think, further. The word uh, uttermost, actually, the words to the uttermost in our Bible is actually one Greek word, pantalus. 
And it's the word that means comprehensiveness, completeness, and exhaustive wholeness. I love that picture. What is a picture of Christ's salvation to us? Exhaustively whole. Exhaustively whole. Exhaustively far and stretching. Like there is no one who can outsend the salvation of Jesus Christ. He saves to the uttermost. The only other place in our New Testament, there's one other place that this word pantalus is used, is in the Gospels. It's used one time in Luke chapter 13. And this is one of my favorite stories of healing in, in our New Testament. And uh, I want to I read it to you because this is the picture. This is an earthly picture of his heavenly intercession for us. Look at this. And there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. So there's one place in here where the word pantalus is used and it's actually to describe her that she could not fully straighten up. This is a picture of our great high priest in action, okay? So I, I, I love to get in the scenes of the gospel, right? Because I think we can read them and we go, man, isn't that cool? But no, like get in the scene of this. This woman who has been bent over severely bent over for 18 years. We don't know why this calls it a disabling spirit. Maybe people thought it was because of a sin or whatever. Maybe it was just because of the fractured world. And she, like my grandma, who for 40 years suffered with rheumatoid arthritis and couldn't, couldn't, couldn't loosen her joints, couldn't stand up straight. We don't know why. We don't know why, but we know this. For 18 years, she was bent over. And back then, people would probably have avoided her kind of stepped around and go, hey, we don't know why, but she's suffered for a long time. And here's the heart of our high priest, Jesus. It says that he, verse 12, he saw her. And this isn't just like he caught his gaze, but no, like he locked in on her. Salvation, the story that you and I, Jesus saw you. He sees you. And here's what he did, the same thing that he did for this woman. He called her over, and said, probably the one thing this woman didn't want was to have attention drawn to her, any more attention. And it says that Jesus calls over to her. And the other gospel allows us a little bit of the narrative that she walks towards him, calling her forward. And then he says to her, look at this, you are freed. You're free. Imagine the scene. She's bent over. You're free. I don't feel free. When is she actually free? When, when, when is the physical manifestation of this? He laid his hands on her. So the thing probably she hasn't had for over 18 years because people were afraid to touch her. People were afraid of her. They didn't want, you know, they didn't want what she had. He, he does the unthinkable in the middle of a crowd. He lays his hands on her. I love this. He saw her. He calls her forward. He frees her. Then he lays his hands on her, gets her physical touch. And what happens to her? She was made straight. She was made straight. She didn't become straight. She was made straight. And then I love the end. She glorified God. This is the picture 
of our heavenly high priest, what he does in our hearts, what intercession looks like in our lives. You are free. I've declared you free. I've set you free. Now I'm going to continue to set you free. I'm going to literally touch your heart and you're going to straighten up. And here's the response to that, right? This isn't talking about behavior modification. This is talking about our hearts going from stone, from us being bent over by sin. Jesus says, you are free. We straighten up. And what happens? We glorify God. And so his intercession is this constant reminder of what he has done for us and through us. What the, what, what, the, what the cross accomplished for us, for you and for me. You see, we need an uttermost saving because we are sinners to the uttermost. Jesus 19, this is, this is Luke 19.10. Jesus came, first advent, he came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus didn't come to make you happy, wealthy, and happy. Jesus didn't come to merely help you. That, that, that could just be done by, by therapy. Jesus came to save you. He came to save us. You see, we tend to operate as if Hebrews 7.25 says something like this. That Jesus is able to save for the most part those who draw near to God through him. No, he is able to save all those who draw near to him through Christ. And so what Hebrews 7.25 means is this, is that God reaches down into the deepest, darkest spaces and crevices of our souls and applies the forgiveness and restoration and redemption of his son there. And let me tell you, that application, that justification, you are his And his interceding is the constant application of that reality forever. Jesus' heavenly intercession is the reason we know that he will save us to the uttermost. And notice in, in verse 25, as we get back to it, it says, after the comma, since he always lives. This is where we get what he's doing. As I've grown older, I've tried to drop two words from my vocabulary. Never and always right? Some of you agree with that, like always and never. But with Jesus, when he says always, when the word of God says always or never, you can bank on it. So he always lives to make intercession for them. Who's them? Believers. Those who are in Christ, you can draw near to him. You can be confident that Jesus never stops bringing his atoning life, death, and resurrection before his father for you. And listen to me, his intercession isn't him going, oh, please, 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 Father, forgive them. Oh, mercy, mercy, mercy. No, it's not that. It's him asserting what he has done, the finished work of the cross and the power of the resurrection for you and for me. That is unbelievable. John Calvin, in writing about this, um, he says that Jesus' intercession turns the Father's eyes to his own righteousness to avert his gaze from our sins. He reconciles the father's heart to us that by his intercession, he prepares a way and access for us to the father's throne. The invitation, the intercession allows us to step into that invitation that he says, draw near to me. How can we draw near? Because we have one who is constantly interceding for us. Oh, we have the great advocate, yes, who is able to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrew says, but we have a constant intercessor in the throne of heaven. You see, Jesus continues to intercede on our behalf in heaven because we continue to fail here on earth. 
even as believers. Right? Now hear me. Our identity is not a sinner. Your identity as a believer in Jesus Christ is the son or daughter of the Most High King, right? That, that's who you are. Your identity is set. But how many of us would be honest enough to go, we still struggle. We still find ourselves falling short. But here is what this heavenly intercession does, is it reminds us that Jesus is never letting go of us. That that anchor holds fast. Why? Because he's permanent, he's unchangeable, and he's perfect. So our confidence is in him. I love the song. We, it's probably 15 years old now, right? Oh, no, you never let go. I think oftentimes my mind goes to like, because it says, through the calm, through the storm, you never let go. And I think of circumstances. But he never lets go because that's who he is. <laughs> that's who he is. That's who Jesus is. He's a God who never lets go. And so imagine this with me in closing. Imagine you could hear Jesus interceding for you. Like if the Lord would give us such a picture of him interceding on our behalf, like what he's doing constantly. Imagine you could hear that with your ears. Um, we get somewhat of a snapshot, honestly, in John chapter 17, where Jesus, this is his priestly prayer for his disciples. Remember that? And he prays that they might know the Father, that, 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 they, that they might be one. Um, like, Jesus doesn't intercede. You could say, pray if you want to. He doesn't pray like us. Right? His prayer life doesn't stink. Okay? Um, but imagine you could hear that room, Jesus interceding aloud. He's not fumbling through what to say. He knows the exact words. If you could hear that, what effect would that have on you? Like, how would that strike you? Robert Murray McShane actually answered that question. And most of you know McShane from his reading plan, but uh, he was actually pretty smart. Um, he says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies Yet, he says, distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He's interceding for you and for me. Listen, his intercession is not an excuse for you to continue in sin. If anything, it's one of those things that we stand back and we go, Lord, help me not. Help me to walk in obedience. Help me to walk in, in this sanctification. If anything, intercession is one of those pictures that, that should be a sanctifying picture in our hearts that make us more and more like Christ. This is maybe now we're getting clarity where Paul says, uh, hey, pray without ceasing. You want to know the one who actually can pray without ceasing? Who is? Who's talking and interceding on your behalf? Jesus. Paul's whole command there is this. Be like Jesus in every fiber and every facet of your being as you pursue him. Be with Christ. Be like Christ. Do what he did. He's a high priest who is interceding, who is not changing, who's perfect and permanent, who sees you right where you are. Oh, and yes, is advocating for you in your pain, in your suffering, in your struggle. But he's also interceding even in those moments where you are unaware of it. Praise God that we have a God like that.
Amen? There is one caveat to this. He's not interceding for everyone. You're like, wait, this is, God, this is Christmas. End it with joy, man. I'm going to end it with joy, the deepest joy. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Christ is interceding for those who draw near to God through him, through Christ. Listen, if you are not in Christ, you don't have an advocate or an intercessor. This morning, Hebrews 7 is also a very clear call to put your faith and trust in the mediator, in the savior of the world, King Jesus, the one who is king and high priest and all of those wrapped up together who is beckoning you to himself so that he might make intercession for you, so that he might justify you in a moment and spend the rest of your life interceding for you to the Father. And so I pray this morning that this might be a morning of salvation, that you would give up the pursuit of the temporary and the temporal and the self-saving efforts that you've tried to achieve right standing and close the gap and the distance between you and God, that you give that up and you trust in Christ, the only one who bridges that chasm, the only life that can, the perfect life that you could not live, that I could not live, that you trust in him this morning. And for those of you that have, Oh, that we would be struck with an awe and a wonder in this last day, uh, this last Sunday of Advent, of who Christ really is, who he came to be and who he is, yes, but what he's doing right now and how he's operating. Let me pray for us. Father, God, I, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your word that makes things clear. God, that we have access to you through a great high priest, your son, who 2,000 years ago put on flesh that drew near to us first. Lord, help us to never think that we can draw near to you first, but it was you who took the initiative, who took on the weight and the sting of sending your son that he might take the sting of sin and death. And Lord, I pray that we would then realize we can have access to you and that Jesus isn't passively sitting at the right hand, but he's actively sitting there, showing us his love toward us, demonstrating his great love from the cross and the power of the resurrection. He's constantly applying that, Lord, to his people, to his children. Lord, I need that constant application. I'm confident that I'm yours, but Lord, I fail so often. And so Lord, I pray for us as a community of faith. I pray that this would drive us to greater worship and awe and wonder. God, but this would also drive us to greater sanctification, lives that long to live for you wholeheartedly with all that we are. And so Lord, I pray that we would do that this Christmas week. Lord, we would, we, would, we would have those Holy Spirit eyes and Holy Spirit hearts that beat as you call them to beat. That we would see through the, the lights and the noise and all the things that can surround us and be so loud in our ears. And we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus clearly like never before. Our kids would see Jesus clearly like never before. The friends and family who don't know him, they would see him clearly. Lord, may we draw near. 
May we step into this invitation with confidence and boldness and joy. Lord, I love you. I thank you for a faith family willing to to wade into the deep waters all in an attempt to know you. Father, I pray that you would go before us today and the rest of our days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.